Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. have your text open to Colossians chapter 3 as we begin this morning. We'll be looking at several other scriptures, but this is the uh, launching pad uh, for what we have to say this morning. I so appreciate the worship that we've had to exalt the name of Jesus, his name above all names, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Uh, really, if there's only just one thing to say this morning, it is that Jesus Christ loves you. And that love comes to us not as an expression of emotion, but it comes in action, in mercy, and compassion toward us. And so as we worship his holy name this morning, um, I just pray you've fallen in love a little bit more deeply with Jesus Christ. And worship him this hour, and then what's supposed to happen is that when we leave this place, we go out and we continue to worship that our lives become vessels of praise, worship, adoration to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit so that every day in every venue, every relationship, all of our lives are given over to the worship of his holy name. So Jesus Christ uh, is Lord and loves you immensely. Uh, we're zeroing in on Jesus Christ. That's what we're, we've been doing in the book of Colossians. Um, Paul is giving us uh, the focus that we need in a world that would uh, uh, distract us and in a church setting that would distract us. We, we become creatures of such um, uh, um, various and fragmented uh, areas of our lives, and, and we, we pull in so many disparate um, uh, sources for our thought and for our values and our opinions and all those kinds of things. But when it comes down to the very bottom line, it is just this, Jesus Christ alone. And that's what gives us clarity. That's what gives us focus and definition in our lives. That's why we spent chapter 1 talking about Jesus who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation, and the head of the church, head of the body, the church. And so we, we came to appreciate the supremacy of Christ, the all-inclusiveness of Christ, the, the ultimacy of Christ, and in doing so, he is not just at the front of things, he's the whole thing. And that's why when we got to chapter 2, Paul said, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And that's the part of the letter we're dealing with now. Having received Christ, who is the um, supreme um, uh, value the supreme one, worthy of glory and honor and praise, worship, adoration. Uh, having received Jesus that way, what does that mean for our lives? We, we are to walk in him. That means that we are not held captive to worldly philosophy, but instead our minds, our hearts, our affections are set on things above where Christ is, and it means that we put off the old person with the old vices. We talked about that a little bit last week. And this morning, we begin to look at the positive side of that, which is this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts. I just want to stop there for, for this morning. 
put on compassionate hearts. Now, if you were reading an older translation, for example, if you were reading the, uh, the King James translation, you just read put on uh, something like bowels of mercies. Put on bowels of mercies. Uh, uh, a little more graphic, I, I, I suppose. Uh, that's actually a very literal translation of the Greek. The, uh, the people of that era associated the emotions with the, uh, the inward parts of a person. Latin for that is the viscera. That's why we talk about having visceral reactions. Okay, that's why I talk about having visceral reactions uh, to things, but, uh, but they, they, they thought of the emotions as actually residing in the internal organs, and so when they talked about uh, what it meant to, to have compassion, to, to see a situation and just sort of be tied up in knots on it, they were describing the, the, the physicality of compassion. It was to be tied up in knots on the inside. And so the literal translation, bowels of mercy, could be translated compassion and mercy. Mercy and compassion are related always in uh, biblical thought. Compassion is the motivation for mercy. Mercy is the expression of compassion. And so our God is a God of compassion and mercy. It all comes together. God has compassion upon us. Do you understand how important that is? All throughout the Old Testament, how does God deal with us? He deals with us in mercy and in compassion. When his people, the children of Israel, were enslaved in Egypt, he heard their prayers as they cried out in their bondage and in their slavery, and he looked down with compassion and with mercy. And because he loved them and had compassion for them, he led them out, led them to the promised land. Again and again and again, he rescued them. That's the whole theory, uh, theme of the book of Judges, that the people would sin, God would see them, send a punishment, then, then would look upon them in compassion and mercy, and he would send a judge to rescue them. So uh, God deals with us in compassion and mercy. And so when we read in Colossians where it says, put on a compassionate heart, put compassion on in your lives, let it be seen in your lives, this is, this is not just some uh, um, uh, shopping list sort of idea that, well, I, I need to say something, compassion seems like a good thing, but rather he is saying, put on the very character and the nature of God, particularly as we see that compassion in his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, when you read the Gospels, what does it say? It says that Jesus looked upon the people, saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd, said he was moved with compassion, same word, moved with compassion. He, he, he was tied up in knots on the inside because he saw the suffering of the people. They were like sheep without a shepherd. He looked upon them and he saw all these sheep and they were just wandering around, going from one bite to the next bite, not knowing they were going off a cliff. They were just sort of huddled together and walking around as a mass, no direction, no protection from the assault and the attacks that would come against them. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Now, he would have been justified to look upon the sheep without a shepherd and have said, you know, it's your own fault. You're a dumb sheep and you're doing dumb sheep things. You know, it, 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 this is your choice. You made your bed, now lie in it. You need to suffer the consequences of it. He would have been justified to say that. But instead, the Scripture says he looked upon us, and he saw us in our condition, and he was moved with compassion. And it wasn't compassion from a distance. Jesus didn't go up to the ivory tower 
and start writing a theological, sociological treatise on the nature of the people as sheep. He didn't just go up into the ivory tower and send down little notes of wisdom that said, well, you know, you're sheep, you need to turn left, you need to turn right, you need to not eat so much, get better sleep, take care of your health. No, he came and dwelt among us. He came and dwelt among us and walked among us. And ultimately, the good shepherd gave his life for the sheep. Jesus was moved with compassion, and that compassion resulted in a life of mercy that was given for us. I'm still not over that, folks. I still can't get over the fact that Jesus loved me, a dumb sheep. I don't even like dumb sheep. But Jesus loves dumb sheep and has compassion with dumb sheep. You know, and, and not only that, he, he comes to us and you know, just sort of sits beside us, walks beside us. Sometimes he carries us through. Jesus has compassion upon us. This, this was central to, to what Jesus taught. Um, it was absolutely um, uh, critical to what he was trying to convey to the people. Let, let me give you an example of that from uh, uh, the book of Luke. If you've got a text in front of you, you may want to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 15. Some of you will recognize that as the parable chapter in Luke. Um, it has the three parables of the lost uh, sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, or the parable of the prodigal son. Um, that's, that's really what I want for us to look at as a parable of the prodigal son. Not, not to tell the, the, the whole story, you, you pretty much know it, but a uh, man had two sons. Uh, the younger son came to him and said, Dad, you know, I, don't, I really don't want to wait for my inheritance. Um, you know, I'm just wasting my time here. Uh, I, give me my inheritance now. And the extravagant father gives him the money. Now, you wouldn't do that, but in the parable, the father gives him the money. He says, here's your inheritance. And the kid, imagine this, a teenager took the money and ran. Not only did he take the money and ran, he spent it all. He went off into a far country, and he started spending the money on riotous living. He had a great time. But when the money came out, he could no longer buy friends, and he could no longer buy food. And he found himself alone and hungry, and the only job he could get was feeding the pigs. And he looked at the pigs, and he said, you know, the pigs are eating better than I am. At least in my father's house, the servants are eating. The servants are, are, are cared for in my father's house. And one of those beautiful passages of Scripture says, and he came to himself. When he came to himself, when he started to think about himself, you know, in a, in a, in, in a realistic way, he said, you know, I think I'll go back to dad's house. And when I get there, I'll say, Dad, look, I, I messed up. I've, I've sinned against you. I've, I've, I've just done the wrong thing. I, I know that. Dad, let me be a servant. J just let me have a job as a servant in your house. That's, that's all I want. So you remember the story. He got up, and he started to go back um, home again. Well, let's pick up the story. It's uh, verse, verse 20. The young man arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. How often had dad gone to the end of the lane, to the gate, opened it, stood outside the gate where he had the longest possible view of the road coming to the house. Every day looking for a silhouette to come across 
the, the, the horizon and to grow large. Maybe it would be his son today. How often had the father gone out that way looking for the son who had deserted him but whom he could not desert? And he looked and looked and looked. And one day he saw it. It was a little speck. He'd seen specks before, but it turned out to be an encyclopedia salesman. <laughs> but this time that speck came to him. You know, normally he, he, he would hope for a little while, and then the speck would turn into a guy with a, you know, sales bag or something. But this time the speck didn't turn to something else. It, it stayed. It looked like it was. It was his son. It was his son. Now, here's the scripture, folks. If you don't have it in front of you, but if you do, read it. He rose and came to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, other than the next three words, and felt compassion. And felt compassion. The entire parable hinges on those three words. He felt compassion. He didn't feel what you and I would feel. Bout time, buddy. <laughs> now you're crawling back, aren't you? I told you this would happen. And now you're coming back asking. You know, this is what we do. But this loving, expecting, waiting father, he's moved with compassion because he's not moved by the need to be self-righteous and the need to be right and the need to make sure his son knew he was right. He was moved by the fact that this is my son who was lost and he's coming home. And the kid gets up there and says, Dad, I sinned. I, I blew it. I, 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 let me be a son. No, son. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring you in. We're going to throw you a party. We're going to put a robe on you and rings and sandals. We're going to kill the fatted calf. You know, it was a dangerous thing to be a fatted calf back then. They're always killing it. <laughs> He says, you know, but we're going we're gonna to have the fatted calf and we're going to throw the party because you've come home. And, of course, the older brother comes in and says, Dad, you never threw me a party. And the dad says, Son, everything I've got is yours. You know that, don't you? You realize everything is yours. All of it's yours. Now, the point Jesus, of course, is making is that we are to rejoice with the, with the salvation of one sinner. When, when one who is lost is, is found, it's a cause for joy and rejoicing. When, when the lost sheep was found, joy. When the lost coin was, uh, coin was found, joy. And now when the lost son is recovered, joy. Now that's the point. He's teaching the Pharisees, you know, don't, you know, don't complain about this. You should rejoice with the angels in heaven. Okay, that's the point. But the parable doesn't work without those three words, and felt compassion for him. And felt compassion. That's where it all turns. This is where our salvation turns, that God looked upon us in compassion. We didn't deserve it. We couldn't claim it as something that, that God had to give us. He simply looked upon us with compassion. Now, I want you to know, I don't view myself as a compassionate person. I, I really don't. I'm, you know, on good days, I might be compassionate with friends or, you know, maybe family. I don't know. <laughs> you know, some people are naturally compassionate. These are the people who find puppies and, and take them home and clean them up. 
The ultimate expression of compassion is someone who finds a kitten and takes it home and makes it a pet. Because when you do that, the rest of your life you're serving the cat, you know. So, you know, that's the ultimate in compassion. But, but some people see that. Some people see a heart. They see a need. They're just moved. They're, they, they, they're just, they, they, they simply cannot um, uh, go on until they, they, they respond to the need in the situation. So some people are, are naturally compassionate. I think it's, it's the sort of thing that... Um, uh, God puts compassionate people in our lives to just tell the rest of us we need to do more of that, and, and that's great. But I don't view myself as, as a compassionate person. But I can tell you this, I love it when I get compassion. I love it when I get compassion. Uh, the other day, uh, this week, I was, I was putting some things in the dumpster, and um, uh, there, there was a cart, one of those carts from the kitchen, anyway, a cart, and it had papers and books piled on it. Now, I didn't load it up. Somebody who had no intention of, of, of moving the cart had done that. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, I, you know, in a moment of weakness, I had said, Debbie, I'll take that out for you. So, <laughs> so anyway, I've got this cart, and I'm, I'm balancing it, and, and I'm, I, I get it through the doors and over the little, little humps in the, uh, in, the, in the threshold. So I get it out there, and I'm going across the, uh, the, the concrete sidewalk, and I, I figure out, no way I'm getting this down onto the parking lot because, you know, there's the curb there and the handicap ramps are like four miles away in either direction. So I figure, well, I'll just park it here and I'll just walk everything across to the dumpster. So I, I start walking across the, the, these pa- papers and books and things and throw them in the dumpster, come back, throw them in the dumpster, come back, and the thing just splatters. I mean, it's just all over the ground. And here's what I'm thinking. God has already forgiven me for this, so don't don't do that. So, what I'm thinking is, look at that, I'm having to pick up this trash. Pick up this trash, and I got a PhD, and I have to put this trash in. Pick up this trash. Nobody cares. Nobody cares what I'm doing. There's a guy sitting in a car. I hadn't seen him. He's uh, one of the uh, preschool and kindergarten grandparents, I think it was, grandparents' day or something. Yeah, okay. I think he's one of the granddads. Without a word, he gets out of the car, he walks over to the trash, and he starts picking it up and carrying it with me to the dumpster. That's a small thing, but you know what that did for me? I mean, when we got through, I said, look, thanks for being my sermon illustration. I needed one. And God, <laughs> God sent you. But, but I also told him, I said, you know what I thought of? I thought of Jesus when you did that. Because I've been thinking about compassion. There it was, compassion. I love it when I receive compassion. I love it when somebody just sits down with me and says, you know, I can't answer one of your problems. I, I know you got questions, and I know you're going through stuff. I can't help you a bit, but I just want you to know, I'm going to sit here as long as it takes just so you know you're not alone. That's what I need. Everyone needs compassion. So I'm not a compassionate person, but I love to get compassion in that way. But, but Paul says to the Colossians, he says, put on a compassionate heart. Put on this kind of compassion that God has shown you. Why? So that others will see who your God is, and he would be praised and honored and glorified. So Jesus would be exalted as his compassion for me is seen by someone else. As, 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 as I just become a pass-through portal for the compassion of Christ. Put on a compassionate heart, uh, Jesus, or, or Paul says uh, to the Colossian Christians. Now, 
Um, let me give you one other, one other time when compassion really figures big in the teachings of Jesus. This is in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And, uh, we'll start at verse 25. This will eventually turn into the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, um, uh, the phrase Good Samaritan has, has come now to mean somebody who just does nice things for other people, someone who helps out a person in need, name hospitals, Good Samaritan Hospital, things like that. Okay. Uh, so it's, but I, I want you to see what, what, what this really hinges on. And, and we'll back up, get a running start into it in verse 25. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Now that's nerve. Jesus, let me put you to the test. What are we playing? Stump the Son of God here? You know, I, I think I got this one. Okay. Anyway, lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So this is the big problem. How do I get eternal life? How do I spend eternity with God? How am I saved? And, you know, this is a big thought. In fact, it's, it's the biggest thought you have in your life. How do I connect up with God for all eternity? So what do, what do I have to do to interpret eternal life? Jesus says to him, what is written? Jesus answers with a question. I think he drove people up the wall. No. They'd ask a question. He'd ask a question back. So he asks a question. The, 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 Jesus asks a question. The lawyer gives an answer to Jesus' question. Then Jesus answers the lawyer's question. And the lawyer, not being too bright, then asks another question, to which Jesus asks another question. <laughs> okay, and it just goes on. Okay. But the lawyer, he says, what shall I do in, to interpret eternal life? Jesus says, what's written in the law? How do you read it? What's your opinion? What do you think? The man answers. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Right. So here's the deal. How do we satisfy the deepest need of, of, of human condition, that is, to know God for all eternity, to abide in his presence and give him glory uh, for all eternity? How do we get there? How do we interpret eternal life? That's the problem. And Jesus says, what's your opinion? The guy says, well, it's to love God and love your neighbor. Jesus says, that's right. There's an absolute connection between the two. You love God, and that love has got to transform your relationships with others. So love God and love your neighbor. That's exactly right. So he says to the lawyer, he says, that's it. Love God, love your neighbor, do that, you'll live. The lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I mean, really, Jesus, the, the, the word neighbor is actually a very difficult word to understand. I mean, what do you mean by this, neighbor? Love your neighbor. Do you mean my, my geographical neighbor, the guy who lives next door to me? Or do you mean my sociological neighbor, someone who is in a kinship group with me? Do you mean this in a professional neighbor, you know, you know, the, someone who has the same job I do, someone who's like me, someone who's almost like me? You know, what does neighbor really mean, Jesus? You know, this is hard. <laughs> and here's how Jesus answers him. So here, here's the setup. The love of God has got to be connected to the love of the neighbor. And how does that work out? That's the setup. And Jesus says, Jesus replied, this is verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem. You always come down from Jerusalem. He was coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, 
by chance. I'm telling you, those two words got me. By chance? Shouldn't this be by the preordained will of God? It had been destined from the foundations of the earth that the following would happen. Oh, okay, Jesus just says, look, it just so happens. Yeah. Sometimes the, the, these things just come into your life. You don't know why. Let the theologians argue about it. It's just there. By chance, it says. Okay. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. The priest was the one responsible for sacrifices and keeping the temple running properly. He had a special obligation for purity and holiness in his life and those kinds of things. So he's walking down, and he sees this guy half dead lying in the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, read the commentaries. There's a lot of motivations for that. Maybe he thought the guy was a decoy. Maybe he thought he was just sitting there, and if I go and help him, then they come out of the bushes after me, and I'm next. Uh, maybe they're still lingering, and they're looking for another victim. Or maybe I've got my temple duties to perform, and if I go over and I touch him, and it turns out he's dead, well, I'll be unclean, and I can't offer the sacrifices. On and on it goes. Just, just, just uh, tons of reasons and rationales are given why he passed by on the other side. Look, here's how to approach that. It just doesn't matter. Guy's half dead, the guy walks by. That's it. Jesus didn't give us motivation. By the way, the guy's a fictional character. All Jesus says is he passed by. Now, here's what strikes us, not the motivation. What strikes us is the total disconnect between loving God and loving your neighbor. Here's a priest coming by, and, and his whole life is given to serving God. And there's somebody who needs help, and he walks on by. And we are shocked, shocked, I say by the disconnect between what is said and professed about love of God and what actually turns out to be the case in terms of love of, of, of a fellow human being. I mean, the disconnect is shocking. And that's what Jesus meant it to be. Um, he didn't mean for his audience to sit there and go through, oh, this is possible motivation. He just said, there, this is shocking. There should not be this kind of disconnect. Got it? Well, then, next. So likewise, a Levite, Levite was a guy who was also involved in the religion business and uh, was a servant in the temple and, and, and those kinds of things. Likewise, a Levite, another religious guy, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side as well. Again, we're shocked by the disconnect. Even though we do the same thing, but, you know, we're talking here about how, you, how do you connect up love of God, love of neighbor, who is my neighbor? Well, let's talk about this connection of love of God, love of neighbor. Here's two guys who say they love God. They're really connected to him, and they just pass by. Pretty clear they didn't get it. Pretty clear they didn't get it, all right? You know where we're going with this, right? You know the next guy's a Samaritan? You know that the Jews hated Samaritans? You know, that, uh, that uh, the, the, reader, the, the listeners to the parable are going to be shocked by the fact that it's a Samaritan, a godless person, somebody who's got wrong theology. Okay, all that's fine. Um, uh, I just say that so you know I read the commentaries too. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had, what's the next word? compassion. The whole parable turns on that word. Without the compassion 
the Samaritan keeps walking. Without the compassion, the Samaritan joins the vast majority of humanity who've already had a chance to help this guy out and have declined the opportunity. Without compassion, the whole story breaks down because without compassion, the Samaritan's just like the Levite and just like the priest. He's just going to keep on going. But he saw him and he was moved with compassion. And as a result, love of God connected up with love of neighbor. And it was compassion that did that. doesn't even say he loved him. I mean, th th this is all a, a way of saying the same thing, but it just gives um, sort of a depth and, and dimension to what it means to say he loved him. He felt compassion for him. Now, I'm going to be the first to tell you, it's hard to know. It's hard to know how compassion is really shared and how compassion works out in our lives. But let's covenant together to struggle with compassion and not struggle with indifference. You know, let, let's be compassionate and worry about how do we apply compassion rather than being indifferent and thoughtlessly apply indifference. This guy's great, though. He saw him. He, was, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. Next day, he took out two denarii. Gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, whatever you spend, I'll repay it when I come back. This guy's either really rich or really foolish or really compassionate. And everything he had suddenly belonged to this man in need. All turns on compassion. All turns on compassion. Jesus says, verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. Yeah. Who was the neighbor? Well, the one who showed mercy. Mercy and compassion connected together. The one who had compassion. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Paul said it this way, put on compassionate hearts. Put on compassionate hearts. When... Uh, Martin Luther King commented on this parable. He said, compassion is what happens when you stop asking, if I help him, what will happen to me? And you start asking, if I don't help him, what will happen to him? That's where the compassion takes over. Paul says, put on hearts of compassion. And what I'd like to challenge us to do, uh, just this week, all right, only one week of compassion. <laughs> Next week we'll move on to something else. You can forget compassion. Just for one week, have your antenna up. Look for times when you can share compassion. Now, um, if it is, you're, you know, you're driving along the road and you see somebody's run off the road and the car's wrapped around a tree and they're lying on the road and you get to be this great hero... No. By the way, can I tell you something? I think Jesus was the only Messiah who did not have a Messiah complex. <laughs> no. He didn't have to be the big hero. Hooray, Jesus, hooray. He just did it. Okay. Uh, but I'm thinking more likely your chance for compassion is going to come at uh, uh, the place where you work. 
It's going to come in the, in, in the person of that, uh, uh, that employee, that fellow worker who annoys you, who sits down and starts to talk, and all you're thinking to yourself is, how do I get rid of him? Okay? I don't know anybody like that. Okay, none of you, you know. But, uh, you know, it's, it's going to come in a family member. You know, and there's been a little friction. There's been a little bit of, you know, conflict. And you're going to have a chance to show compassion to somebody who really irritates you in your own family. Maybe in your neighborhood, your school, whatever it is. I just want, want to challenge us. Have our antenna up for the opportunities to share the compassion of Christ. Now, um, let me just suggest three things to do about that, three things to do about uh, compassion with Christ. It, it, it doesn't come from Scripture per se. It comes from my childhood, which means it's also infallible. <laughs> Thank you for laughing, Debbie. <laughs> Debbie just laughed at that joke because she had compassion. Yes, okay. <laughs> But uh, did, did you ever learn stop, look, and listen when you're getting ready to cross a road? Stop, look, and listen. You know, stop, look both ways, listen for cars coming, stop, look, and listen. Anybody? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I thought I was the only one. Back when I was in grade school, we still, you know, spoke in King James, so I, I didn't know if they were still doing that. But when you find that opportunity for compassion, stop. Just stop. You know, you, you, you've got something to do. You've, you've, you've got your, your, your mind heading in a certain direction. You don't want to take the time with that person, and you, and you don't want to, um, and, you know, have to give out any resources. Just stop for a moment. It just may surprise you that all they needed was a moment or a hundred. But, but just stop. You know, have your antenna up. Does this person need compassion? And again, compassion isn't, oh, your life is a wreck. Let me come, you know, save you. It's, it's, it's a simple thing. Of, Let me take you seriously for a while in my life. So just stop. Then look. See that person the way God sees them. See them the way God looks upon them in grace and his compassion. Look, look upon that person and see not the things that irritate you, but see that, you know, this, this person has an entire biography behind them, and I don't know what happened in their life to make them the way they are, but then, you know, they're probably saying the same thing about me. Just stop and look at that person and see them the way Christ sees them. And then listen. Just listen. You know, it's incredible, but sometimes that's all people need. That's all a person needs is just, just listen. As you're listening, you know, something you can do might arise. You know, it might come to you. Holy Spirit lays that on your heart, then go for it. You know, absolutely. But at least stop, look, and then listen to the person. Find out, you know, what's really going on in your life. I'm not going to assume that I know and give you an answer that, that if to a question you don't even have. I'm going I'm to listen to you first. And find out where you are in life. And so stop and look and listen. Because everyone needs compassion. Everyone. Now, a moment ago, I said, I'm not, I don't think I'm, I'm a naturally compassionate person, uh, but Jesus is. And here's the wonder of the gospel. When we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and starts to remold us and to remake us, Paul says in the book of Romans, into the image of God's dear Son. 
We're being conformed to the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit is working to make us look more and more like Jesus. So when I say, you know, compassion doesn't come naturally to me. Fine. It comes naturally to the Holy Spirit. And God actually has the power to overcome who I am in my dysfunction and use me for expression of compassion to others. You get that? It turns out that our God is actually a very mighty God. I'm setting you up, folks. Everybody needs compassion. Our God is a mighty God, mighty to save. And that might and that power works into our lives to conform us to the image of Christ. And so this week, I'd like to challenge us to put on compassion because when we do that, we're putting on Jesus. And when we put on Jesus, we glorify the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Let's bow for prayer as we close. And Father, I'm thankful that you don't just give us a command and send us out on our own, but whatever you command for us to do, you give us the resources to do it. And so in this coming week, I pray that your compassion would be made known to people around us in, in ways that are great and ways that are small, Father, so that Jesus would be seen in our lives and he would be exalted, lifted up, and glorified. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.